So after our conversation a few weeks ago, Shauna, about endurance sport technology and how it's exclusive and only based on a certain type of person, I've been really giving a lot of thought to the use of GIFs and emojis mm. and which ones I'm choosing to use as a white woman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, now that we have more options than we had originally, you know, we don't have to just default to that yellow emoji thing. You know, we have more options. We have more emojis. We have more memes, more gifts. All of them uh, represent a lot of different backgrounds and colors and cultures and so forth. But now that we do have more options, we have to be careful about which ones we're choosing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm particularly thinking about the Carlton um, dancing gif that many of our <laughs> listeners might be familiar with um, from yes. the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, one of yes. my favorites, but certainly I've been thinking that maybe I shouldn't be using it. Oh, well, wait, wait, don't, look, don't move too quickly on that. Before you stop using it, we should talk it through. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. Okay, so I was... um, on Instagram, and I, I follow this group called Diversity in Cycling, and I read about a recent interview with a cyclist named Quinn Simmons, who I'd never heard of, but I guess he's a big deal. Um, he was interviewed a couple of days ago, and uh, I guess last year he had posted on Twitter a um, hand, a dark brown, black hand, um, kind of in a by Felicia uh, way. And the response was swift um, about its offensiveness and its divisiveness. Mm. And the team that he rides for Trek um, mm-hmm. suspended him for about 45 days. And this uh, article mm-hmm. or this interview that he did that I was reading about, he didn't express any contrition about it. He didn't really seem to understand why it was a problem. And he felt that you know, there were two, it was two white people engaged in the conversation on Twitter. So it really didn't have anything to do with race. Uh, well, clearly he did not listen to our podcast episode on apologies. Clearly he, he just skipped right over that one. <laughs> well, well, I think someone with his perspectives uh, may not choose to listen to what we talk about on a regular right. basis. Um, but, you know, that's a, a great example of, you know, a lot of different things around a non-apology apology, if you will. And even when thinking about race and color, that two white people talking to each other are raceless people, when in fact, everybody is part of a race conversation Mm -hmm. just by existing. So, you know, I, I think it's interesting that people are okay with kind of divorcing themselves from these conversations because they don't see it as relevant to them and their lived experience when in fact it is very relevant. And even if he didn't think it was relevant, now he does with a 45 day extent, um, uh, 45 day suspension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now it's relevant to his day to day. I don't know if that affects his money or not, possibly um, maybe in the future. Um, if people do, similar things with similar behaviors, their money might be affected too. We don't know, but I think this is really interesting and might set a a standard for the future of what's acceptable and what's not when it comes to race. Yeah. And I guess his team went through social media training and like an hour long diversity, equity and inclusion webinar because it's all online. Right. And um, I don't know how effective that was, but based on his interview, I'm thinking not very effective for him at least. Um, And so his, um, 
choice to not use black or brown hand emojis on Twitter or Instagram now is driven by um, Mm. not wanting to get in trouble. Not that a recognition that that's actually offensive and hurtful to a lot of people. Mm, Well, and here's the thing, you know, that tells us that I I have this conversation with a lot of organizations around what people's different entry points are to these conversations about race, racism, identity, difference. And for some people, it will never come to a place of value sets. You know, for some people, they will never be like, oh, well, I want to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Some folks will always be in that place of compliance. I'm going to do just enough of what it takes to stay out of trouble and to stay in uh, the good graces of whatever organization I'm affiliated with. But that in and of itself is a privilege. There are some people that don't have that choice. He's now making that choice of I'm going to stay on the fringes of the race conversation as best as possible. I'm just going to stay out here because the only time it really affects me is not as a human being. It simply affects me as kind of a business transaction Mm -hmm, when it mm -hmm. comes to this. And, you know, what I think is really interesting is that I'm making a big grand leaping assumption based on what we've read about this guy. He has no clue what blackface is, much less what digital blackface is, brownface. And so he has a lot of personal education to do if he is interested in, even if he's selfishly interested in staying out of trouble, you have to know where your trouble is. I Mm -hmm. I don't think he will even know, and I'm doing air quotes, y'all, when it comes to trouble. But, you know, for him, he doesn't even have enough of a basis of history to understand where the boundaries of right and wrong are at this point. I think that in and of itself is telling, very telling. Yeah. And so he did a horrible apology, right? I'm reading it. I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is everything you shouldn't do. And then I guess Mm. um, the CEO of either Trek or the team that he rides for is Trek Sega Fredo. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the the guy was like, we have to remember that this is a 19-year-old boy, right? As though you know, oh, like, please. Well, he's not a boy, he's an adult, right? And you're paying right. money to ride for you. So one would hope that you would be have people on your team who have the forethought and understanding mm-hmm. around some of these issues, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to educate myself, like you said, Shauna. And so I just mm-hmm. thought that was really fascinating around how while they dished out this 45-day suspension, they mm-hmm. then were very apolog- um, apologized for him, essentially, and said, he didn't mean it, he's young, it was a mistake, Right. Oh, goodness. Let's just apologize all of it away. And, you know, I I think that's the challenge, though, is that if there is no accountability, it sounds like, you know, from the organization from Trek in total, like, you know, if he were shown the numbers, because I'm a Trek owner myself, um, the numbers of black people who own Trek, who are invested in Trek, who give Trek money on a regular basis, And then he saw the bottom line. I mean, you know, at 19, I'm unbothered by the age, frankly. In fact, I'm thinking to myself, oh, we'll stick it to him even more because he's got a long life to live. And a lot of racism is going to come directly his way. Um, And so even if he's selfishly interested in doing the right thing and staying out of trouble um, without any uh, laden value sets in it, he's got a lot of life to live and he's going to get his feelings hurt um, in the best of ways, in my opinion, moving forward, if he doesn't educate himself, this is going to come right back around. You, right. you repeat the behaviors and the mistakes of the past if you don't analyze them. And that's exactly what's going to happen when it comes to blackface. He has no understanding mm-hmm. of it. 
Yeah, I think, and I, I think there's probably a lot of people that aren't understanding um, that connection, right? Around a white person using a emoji hand or other body part, mm-hmm. as there are lots mm-hmm. of the options that is of a skin color that is not their own, right? Um, you know, right. and it's not a conversation that is pro- is very prevalent in endurance sport, I don't think, um, mm-hmm. or or indeed in society, because right. that diversification of the emoji. Yeah. is actually quite new, right? Because a whole bunch right. of white men decided that we didn't need initially even to have, you know, women representation, representation, let alone um, different mm-hmm. racial identities mm-hmm. and um, skin colors represented. So right. I'm wondering if we can bring people up to speed on some of the problems here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially, you know, for those, for those that may be listening that don't even know what blackface is, you know, blackface was basically theatrical makeup. Um, And this started in the colonial period where uh, it was used by non-black performers to portray black people and not in the best of ways. Let me just state (laughs) it was meant to be a, a caricature. It was meant to be, um, divisive. It was meant to minimize the individual. And so, you know, now that we've pressed forward from, you know, colonialism all the way now into uh, this very um, fast digital age, now we have the very same thing happening on uh, digital platforms where people use visual representations of Black people, Brown people, because there is such thing as brown face, using them in ways that are not helpful. Um, a lot of language around um, darkies and coons and so forth was used then that a lot of people don't know carry into now. So, you know, I think it kind of goes back to our cyclist here where um, if people don't know about blackface, then obviously it can still happen. But for those that may have mildly heard about blackface, but they don't understand the deep rooted nastiness of blackface, they may think, oh, well, you know, this might be a compliment or this is appropriately representing someone that I really like, like Carlton and doing his dance. Of course, I think everybody likes that, but I think that's when it gets really interesting when you don't know the history of language. Uh, I have a a professor from undergrad that used to say all the time, always look at the etymology of a word because there might be some things there that you didn't know existed and you're now carrying them forward. And so, you know, the primary words, I mean, go down the list of words that we should not be using, starting with the N-word in the United States, blackface fits over into some of those behaviors that have deep roots that a lot of people don't understand and therefore don't see why it's a big deal, if you will. And it is a big deal. It's Mm -hmm. a huge deal. And that connection then to the digital world, right? It's just a transition or a translation even from the kind of physicality of blackface of a white person painting themselves um, Mm -hmm. darker or, I mean, rather, and now that's just translated into the digital world with these images that white people are using with the hand wave and the thumbs up and the, you know, um, bicep or whatever. But I'm not thinking that that connection is being made like I think even for folks who are fairly educated on blackface as it was originally constructed Mm -hmm. um, 
you mm-hmm. know, particularly in the movies. Yes. At, yes. With a waving hand emoji on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, I have a really great friend of mine that I used to work with at a previous university who identifies as a white woman. And when the digital blackface language came up in a couple of articles, she said, oh, my goodness, I need to reevaluate all the gifts that I use because it just happens to be that the majority of the reactions that I love, like the happy reaction or the surprise reactions or so forth, the majority of the gifts that she chose happened to be women of color. And it was definitely not intended to be um, divisive or derisive. But now that she's connecting the history of blackface to the digital world, she's now rethinking, "Mm, I may not want to do that anymore. Maybe let me find another gift that appropriately represents me or maybe an animal or maybe something else. But why does it have to be laden in race? I made it laden in race because I've consistently used women of color to represent my emotions. And that is the trying on of race to be used to communicate who I am or my uh, emotional responses. And it's not okay for me to try it on at all. Yeah, I think that try it on, trying it on is a really important piece of all of this. And I think um, back to your history around blackface and white performers exaggerating what it meant to be African-American as a means to vilify, as to um, make it okay for white violence against uh, black people, that that exaggeration, that hyperbolic representation of emotions, then for white people to use that now in the context of a GIF is uh, it's just an echo of what was done before, right? Um, and I read a really good article um, that we'll uh, put in our show notes at Team Vogue that um, quoted someone who had talked about representation as surveillance. And I just thought it was just a fantastic way to frame this Mm -hmm. in the context of Mm -hmm. white supremacy, that you have um, the use of these gifts, the use of these images by white people with this trying on of blackness, but in a way that is exaggerated. So super happy, super angry, right? That those tropes have been used to control and manage black people historically through the United States. Right, right, right. And, you know, again, it goes back to one of my big uh, aha moments that we've had in the podcast uh, many episodes ago, just around the various contexts and forms of violence against Black people. And previously in my brain, I know I was thinking very linearly around you know, the physical aspects of violence against Black people, which is more than enough for anyone's history, whether it's a history of lynching or whether, you know, of course, when even to this day, when there are, for example, prostate problems with Black men, the alternative is not necessarily chemotherapy. It is literally um, to have a little surgery and just let's just remove those parts. And so thinking about those types of violence against Black people, and now we also have to contend with the act of violence of taking on our identity to try on. And it's fun and it's cute to try it on when it's comfortable, but when Black people go through times of discomfort, there is no connection, there is no proximity. And so it does feel like it's that slippery, slippery slope into cultural appropriation at the same time. I only want to try on Blackness when it either benefits me or it's of entertainment to me, which continues to harm Black people in all these different ways. Yeah, and it 
contributes to the dehumanization of black people, right? And if 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 black people are less than human in kind of white supremacy contexts, mm-hmm. then violence upon them is acceptable. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that ties right. back to endurance sports. If we think about Ahmad Arbery, we just passed the anniversary, the one year anniversary of his murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the ways in which um, black and brown bodies are viewed by white society, white supremacy, white thinking. Um, mm-hmm. You cannot mm-hmm. disentangle that from the history um, in in the United States specifically. I mean, I think it plays out differently in, in the global context, depending on those various histories. And so mm-hmm. now we're in this digital age and it's just a reiteration of the same problem. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. like um, using a um, dark brown hand on Twitter as a white person is like causation linked to Ahmad. Arbery's murder right but like that continuum point that you made right it's Mm -hmm. all part of this ongoing continuum um -hmm. that dehumanizes and minimizes the Mm. um value of people of color in this country Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know we again we're still not too far removed if if anyone gets a chance um i know that uh sometimes we're at home trying to find something to do um for sure you know, take a look at uh, Spike Lee's movie Bamboozled from 2000, um, which is not that long ago, but check out Bamboozled. And part of the reason why that movie was so impactful was because Spike Lee wanted to tell the satirical story of a journalist, a black journalist who was <laughs> was dissatisfied with uh, their role in the industry and so forth because he wanted to get fired and used blackface Um, as his way to get fired. He tried to anyway. He's thinking, oh, for sure. You know, if I use blackface, this is so offensive and disrespectful and, you know, flat out racist, they're going to have to kick me up out of here. And he creates this series that's based on blackface. And he is almost mortified that people love it and they buy into it. And it's like, you know, history repeats itself when it comes to this. And it kind of makes me feel like uh, when a lot of people who followed uh, Dave Chappelle, the comedian, um, when Dave realized that white people were laughing a little bit too hard and he stopped the, right. the Chappelle show and walked away. It, that's what it feels like. And so at, at what point do we decide that we're not going to use someone's identity as a cartoon in order to uh, continue to strip the humanity off of them? You know, a lot of white people still don't make the connection between blackface and being three-fifths of a human being. Right. There are people that are walking around in this country that come from a lineage where the country that we love told us that we were not five-fifths. That is inherently problematic. And so the connections, I, I feel like, Lisa, every time we do this podcast, we're trying to put the dots closer together for people to connect them. And this is just another dot um, that I want to connect here um, to make sure that people, you know, put this together and we can see a history of it. We can see it all around the world. Um, even a couple of years ago in my beloved home state of Virginia, which is problematic on so many fronts, you know, their governor you know, back in the 80s, had a picture of himself in blackface in VMI's yearbook, you know, and and not to say that he hasn't had some major personal development from then to now, but this emerged two years ago. And of course, people had a problem with it. And of course, people held him to task. And of course, he publicly apologized. He did a much better job with his apology, by the way, uh, than the cyclist. But 
you know, all this ties together. And I really want people to put the dots closer as we think about how we choose to represent ourselves and honor others as human beings, because you don't see black people taking on a white face or black people, right. you know, th that that's when, look, it's almost like a warped form of our uh, previous podcast on um, thinking about reverse racism. Why? Why? Well, partially because people of color have always been forced to see white people as five-fifths of a person. White people have not been forced to see black people as five-fifths of a person. Right. So we have to look at those dynamics here. Yeah. And I think it's really applicable for endurance sport because so much of what happens kind of off the race course happens online, right? So you're developing your identity, your brand as a professional athlete. You um, have a triathlon club or a cycling club and a lot of your communication happens online, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, or some of these new forums that I have no idea what they're called. Um, you know, and so I think it's really worthy of thought. And then also connected to that, and Shauna and I have talked about this before, you know, if you're a leader in an organization, in a sports organization, and you have an employee or a group member who um, employs a GIF or an emoji that is problematic, is not of their racial identity, you know, and is cartoonizing, if that's a word, um, <laughs> right, of right. color, right, as a white person, like, what are right. you going to do about it, right? Because if we're talking about inclusivity in sport, and we're wanting everyone to feel welcome in their respective sports and their groups and their races and their clubs, mm -hmm. then as a leader, it's incumbent upon you to uh, A, understand this, what we're talking about, and B, do something about it. Right, right, right. Yes. And so that gets us back into that accountability piece. And, you know, this is when, you know, going back to, to what we were saying with Quinn, you know, 45 days is punishment. That's not education. Right. And yeah. so given that, how do we do that? I, I think about um, <laughs> Lisa in our world of higher education and student conduct, you know, you know, mm -hmm. a student not being able to do something for a few days, you might as well just expect another infraction because if they haven't been educated on it or exposed to new information, they're just going to turn around and do it again. That's for any human being. And so given that, you know, that punishment, that is really telling to me as far as how inclusive the, the organization is. And so now I'm looking over in the corner on my trainer at my Trek bike, like, mm, let me rethink this thing here as a black person who's given a whole hell of a lot of money to Trek. It's interesting that they are okay with someone seeing one of their customers as less than a human being. Right now I got to rethink it. I have to rethink. Now that didn't mean I'm throwing my bike out in the street. I'm not saying that, but I am saying I'm rethinking this future purchases, how I want to spend my money. Yeah. All of that, that should make you rethink it because I'm trying to put all the dots close together, whereas Trek may not be trying to put all the dots together. So Lisa, you and I may be sitting down writing a, a nice, nasty email to Trek saying, hello, we're not tolerating that. 45 days is not the point. The education is the point. And it's clear that either you're not interested in that education or maybe you don't have anyone in your organization who can be responsible for educating this person, 19 or not. I don't give right. a damn what his right. age. So there, there's some dots to be put together here. Yeah. At 19, I would expect more from someone. Certainly he's not six, you know? Um, <laughs> and so I think, I think back to last summer and all of the endurance sports brand Trek included who, you know, posted around black lives matter and that they intended to do better. And they came out with all these statements and you and I have talked about that uh, on, you know, in the early days of this podcast. And so I think this is just, um, 
demonstrative of the need for organizations, companies, athletes to do more than just post on their Instagram feeds or posting on Facebook, right? You can put a statement on your website about inclusivity and equity and diversity. But if you are then unwilling to effectively hold people accountable for their behavior that's in violation of those values, up to and including kicking them off the team, then um, there is a massive disconnect there, right? And just because I, I can see people rationalizing it, it was just a little emoji. It was a hand, like what's all the fuss, right? But to your point, Shauna, it's connected to this long history. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, this is what we do, right? This this is called perfectly logical explanations that are always used to explain away either microaggressions or macroaggressions. There is some corner, some amen choir, some you know, peanut gallery that wants to explain certain things away. And usually the people that get things explained away for them happen to be white and or male. This happens constantly. Nobody explained away that Ahmaud Arbery was simply on a run. We don't have time to explain that now because he's not here anymore. So that's inherently a concern for me, but you're right. What does accountability look like? I'm imagining as soon as you said that the first visual that crossed my mind was, you know, the white male executive throwing his hands up saying, well, you know, what more can we do? Lisa and I and our podcast followers can give you a laundry list of things that you can do, including all the way up to you no longer ride for this, this name, this brand, this team, please don't come within 10 feet of the Trek brand. There's so much that can be done. And I'm not saying go there first, but what I am saying is that we need some progress around this that's educational. And if this person, I and, and again, <laughs> I know this gets into competitiveness and so forth. I don't care if he's your damn star player, star cyclist, star whomever. And I have no clue. I'd never heard of him either until you brought him up to me. But usually the excuse is, well, we can't afford not to have this person ride on our team or we can't afford to exclude this person because yeah. of course, you know, money is hinged upon uh, winning. And, and I, I get all that, but you know, like I've always said with DEI work, you're going to pay whether it's now or later, you will pay. And so would you rather pay? Yes. It's going to be a bit costly now to make sure this person is educated and also put on notice that this organization is not going to tolerate this or are you going to continue to let this person ride, continue to let this person have major infractions until finally you, you, you lose an entire portion of your market? Pick which one you want to lose because you're going to lose at some point when it comes to DEI work, when it comes to the bottom line and ROI. Return on investment is huge. I would rather you lose you know, a star cyclist now and replace him for possibly a long line of very conscious cyclists that could do a hell of a job with the education of knowing about lots of diversity issues. I would rather do that now than wait until we're down the line. We poured thousands of dollars into a cyclist that has pretty much demonstrated that he doesn't give a damn. Yeah. Yeah. Not interested in doing that at all. And that's the thing, right? There doesn't appear to be at least granted. I am learning about this through um, news articles online, right? I have not had a conversation with him, but he doesn't appear to be demonstrating any willingness to learn or understand 
the um, the problem with what he did. And so his his takeaway is that politics and sport don't mix. I mean, how many times have we heard that as a way to minimize and devalue uh, marginalized people's experience in sport, right? Um, from white, specifically from white people, right, um, right. you know? And so that's his takeaway. I'm just not going to post on social media. I'm just not going to express a political opinion anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that's what you learned. Right, right. That's, that's all, you know, that's all that he learned apparently. And I think what's pretty interesting about, you know, moving forward that, you know, depending on how much accountability uh, he's required to have, again, I think it's going to come up uh, because he's uh, seems to be a rather popular cyclist. He will be called to speak on certain things or weigh in on certain things. He may not have a choice to opt out of conversation around these topics. And so he has to be ready for that. Uh, this this is increasingly becoming a world where this will always be a point of conversation. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to be 100% of the conversation, but yes, it, it's going to be part of the conversation. And so just opting out is not an right. option. And, you know, this is the type of cyclist that I'm concerned about where as cycling continues to brown and blacken with more and more melanin on those teams, this is going to be the type that thinks it's okay to say certain things to black and brown cyclists. And that's when I'm, I'm not okay with any of it, but I'm definitely not okay then because now who's to blame because we've allowed this violent person to continue to be violent towards black and brown people. It's, it's Trek's own fault at that point. If he's allowed to stay on the team, interact with the team when he's already shown you, it's very much the Maya Angelou quote, when people show you who they are, believe him. I believe him. I believe him the first time. I don't need like five times to believe him. He's shown us who he is. Now my concern is cyclists, unfortunately, being um, collateral damage to his lack of education. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's definitely different ways to respond, right? Your friend that you talked about, your white woman friend who kind of had the realization around the gifts, you know, she Mm -hmm. she took in new information. She absorbed it. Mm -hmm. She reconfigured um and you know is now behaving in a different way around this and so i you know certainly i don't think we're arguing that if any white person you know missteps or you know behaves in a way that's inappropriate racist Mm -hmm. sexist that you should just like cut the cord right right there needs to be some offer of education in partnership with accountability. Mm-hmm. But if then mm-hmm. after doing that, there's still no growth, there's still no understanding to the point where you're saying this vocally in an yes. article that's getting published and spread everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, then I feel like, Trek, come on. Like there's something right. more you need to do here because you obviously didn't do enough. Right, right, exactly. Oh, absolutely, didn't do enough. And it, this kind of feels like, you know, at the end of those... Um, those commercials that say like drink responsibly, things like that. I I feel like when it comes to language and language use and etymology of these terms and history and so forth, I feel like we're telling people, you know, speak responsibly here because oftentimes you use words and I'm going to pick on uh, Jenny, my friend that I mentioned before. I love you, Jenny. Um, You know, the fact that she realized that she as a white woman was using black and Brown women as her favorite gifts to emote, basically, to show her own emotions or passions around a certain topic. And when she realized this, uh, as I posted some article about this particular topic of um, digital blackface, it was clear in her response, 
oh my goodness, I've been doing this for a long time now. Let me rethink this. And I was so proud of her turning that corner. And I feel like now she's at a place where she will speak responsibly, post responsibly, um, all of that. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us to post more responsibly and, you know, goodness gracious for this cyclist and all endurance athletes who want to be inclusive, Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. have to have to move in responsible ways that require us to think. I'm not saying that everyone has to be a DEI scholar, but to be open to correction, change and development over time, this guy isn't interested in that. I'm hoping and praying that our listeners, um, they tune in every week because they're, they are interested in that work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, you just made me think of something I want to throw in that white people don't get to decide, um, what's offensive, right? So when you have these apologies that are like, I'm sorry that you were offended by that, right? Like separate themselves, like, well, it's Mm -hmm. not up to you to determine what's offensive. So if um, a person of color finds your use of a black emoji of a brown emoji problematic, then you need to listen to them, right? Because that's their truth and you have some learning to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one, one of my, uh, (laughs) one of my pet peeves is telling someone else how they should feel. Lisa, you should not be offended if I say X, Y, and Z about women. And Shauna, you should not feel this way if I say X, Y, Z about your groups. No, no, you, that is a point of privilege. You don't get the opportunity to do that. Um, these intentions versus impact disgust me sometimes uh, because the intentions seem to be the only thing that's the priority. Right. And in fact, the impact is really what we're looking for here. So th- this cyclist clearly has gotten under our skin. Um, yeah, it seems so. <laughs> I think we could even have another episode um, just on this too about, you know, these perfectly logical explanations of, you know, explaining people out of uh, these tight corners that they get in because they've been irresponsible with their uh, digital footprint, if you will. So yeah, mm-hmm. the, this yeah. guy has gotten on my nerves here. <laughs> yeah. So we'll post some articles in the show notes about digital blackface. So you can read a little bit more about it because there's definitely some great resources out there if you are still struggling to understand. But hopefully this has made you think. It certainly has made me think about how I show up on social media. Absolutely. Oh, and speaking of social media, Lisa, we should tell our listeners too, we have a brand new private Facebook page, Unfazed Podcast. The un is in brackets. Unfazed Podcast. Go find us there. Go find the community there. We're talking about these topics. I know that sometimes you don't want to wait another week uh, to hear more. And so now you don't have to. So we'll just stay in community with one another. Hi, folks. Sarah here, the founder of Live Feisty Media, the company that produces the podcast you're currently listening to. I just wanted to jump in here and invite you to our latest initiative here at Live Feisty, the Feisty Women's Performance Summit. On March 26th to 28th, we will be serving up a virtual summit like no other, designed specifically for active feisty women or anyone who wants to know how women can get the best out of our bodies throughout our lives. I think we all kind of figured out by now that a lot of sports and nutrition science studies, product and performance research is done on men and are a little confused maybe about what actually applies to us as women. So we collected experts from several arenas, physiology, psychology, nutrition science, and social sciences to get some answers. The Feisty Women's Performance Summit includes 20 educational sessions 
plus networking events, group workouts, and an expo full of supportive brands. I seriously hope you can join us on March 26th to 28th, 2021. Tickets are only $149 and all sessions will be recorded and can be viewed up to two weeks after the event. For more information or to sign up, go to womensperformancesummit.com. The link will be in the show notes, of course. That's womensperformancesummit.com. See you there, feisty friends. The Unfazed Podcasts and all things Feisty Triathlon are grateful to be supported by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker cuts through the noise of diet and wellness trends by analyzing your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to provide you a personalized, science-backed, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is a simpler, cheaper, and more convenient option than traditional blood tests, and their test includes biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from the traditional option. What we love about them? They don't just give you data. They provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. Inside Tracker is offering 25% off their entire store to the Feisty Triathlon community. To claim your offer, go to insidetracker.com slash feistytriathlon. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at Dr. Gold Speaks or at Outspoken Women in Tri. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time. <laughs>